peace and blessings, grace and gratefulness to all of the viewers and the listeners of today's podcast. This is Stop the Stigma, Change the Narrative, and I am your host, Australia Edinburgh. And the purpose of this was to create a safe space for individuals to gain information as well as resources. And we just raise awareness on mental health and the many topics in between with that. So I normally tend to um, team up with survivors, healthcare professionals, uh, service professionals, thrivers, coaches, and just anybody who wants to speak their piece basically. And we talk about things relating to mental health and self-care. I'm not sure what that is. And self-care. So today we're going to be talking about public service and mental health and how they relate to each other. And I have a star by the name of Robin Williams, who is a humanitarian, uh, a multifaceted woman. Um, and she is going to be coming on and we're going to be discussing that on today. So let me go ahead on. How are y'all doing on today? Happy uh, Saturday. Happy Sassy Saturday. Happy summer. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> happy summer. Um, happy Pride Month. And any other celebration that's taking place on this month, we celebrate it. Okay. So are you able to hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I can hear you just fine. Well, you are looking radiant on today. How are you feeling? I feel amazing. <laughs> And you look great yourself. I think we got the same assignment. So we got the red and the cream going on. So, okay. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, I was just basically warming up the audience and letting them know, you know, what Stop the Stigma and Change the Narrative is about and letting them know what we're going to be talking about on today. So I'm super excited um, to have this discussion with you. I'm grateful to have had ran into you when I did a couple of weeks ago at that event. And, you know, just hearing the passion that you have whenever we, you know, had our conversation, I felt like you was a perfect person, you know, to just come on and talk about this. So um, to those listeners and viewers that are going to be coming in, come in, say hello. And I love for my lives to be interactive. So if you have any questions, comments, or concern, please enter that in the chat box and we will address them accordingly. So can you introduce yourself, tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you're here? Okay, hello everyone. Hello, Houston Wake Up. Houston Wake Up is in the building. Hi, my name is Robin Williams and I'm from the south side of Chicago. I moved to Houston shortly after the Marine Corps. Um, after the Marines, I joined the American Red Cross um, and I worked for, I was a manager there so you, um, for the International Social Services um, Organization where we reconnected refugees back with um back with their family members and then after that i started a non-for-profit organization along with my business partner dr sheena socket and early after that right keeps going i became a police officer and i'm just a humanitarian at heart my passion is mental health um because so many people around me were affected by mental health and i just got appointed over the mental health um facility not facility program for my police department and i did be here with you congratulations on that i know that is a big accomplishment so big us to you on that girl that's awesome amazing um and yes i agree you are just an all-around humanitarian like you said i mean you from the things that you are involved in it revolves around public service so that is awesome. Um, so as it relates to that, just how do you feel that public service relates to mental health? Can you give me an example on um, public service? Well, public service, like for instance, um, with you being a police officer, how does that you know, have an effect on your mental health? On my mental health, okay. Um, I guess really just being able to decompress at the end of the day because 
um, I work 10 hour shifts and I work um, the Fort Bend in the Harris County area. So um, it's tough responding to individuals that are victims of sexual assault, um, outcries from adolescents that may have been sexually molested by a family member or a foster family, just responding to family members that just lost their loved ones at a hospice facility, um, the hustle and bustling of just interacting with people on traffic stops, just meeting different people and just seeing what the media will not show. Because um, one thing about the media, the media loves a story. And if the story is not juicy, they're not going to show it. So I'm just honored that I get to see that. And it does take a toll on my um, mental health as far as, you know, because I, I become the person that wants to take everything on. Um, if I... If I come in contact with a young lady that's a victim of domestic violence, I immediately want to be her protector, which I am because I'm a police officer, but I, w I wanted to go beyond just me meeting you in a uniform. I want to hold you. I want to tell you it's going to be okay. I want to comfort you in that moment because you feel like you're broken into a thousand pieces and I feel like I want to put you back together, but I cannot do that all the time in my uniform. And so that kind of makes me feel sad because sometimes my interaction stops right then and there. Once I take the report, we, um, you know, it's not always guaranteed that I may follow up with you just due to uh, policy and procedure. So we don't always get to follow up with victims. Um, so I always wonder what if, what happened? Um, so that's another big thing that takes uh, a toll on my mental health as far as like dealing with anxiety of um, going into different situations. If it's an open door, just with the feeling of, you know, police officers are not um, deemed the most friendly or, you know, not accepted right now. So we, we got a, a stigma on us. And so some of us are that nasty stigma and it's people like me that's willing to change the stigma. So it, um, it's kind of scary. Am I going to be hurt in the line of duty? Um, do people know that I'm the good guy, not the bad guy? Mm -hmm. So, so I try my best to really give them even if I'm arresting you, I try to give you the best experience with a police officer because I'm hoping that me giving you this good experience that you would um, tell everyone else about it and that maybe I can save a police officer from being shot randomly on a traffic stop or if we're sitting in the parking lot, someone sees us and open up fire, you know, so that's okay. a scary part of it. And that is a lot to, you know, process and think about. And I asked you that question because, you know, I, I read an article that has stated that, you know, the the positive impacts of being in public service. And when I say public service, I'm not just limited to, you know, police officer, being a police officer, officer. That's also for like the volunteers, our teachers, you know, our service professionals, our postal workers, you know, anybody just directly involved with the community. Um, that is, you know, a form of public service. And in the article that I read, I believe it was on Psychology Today, um, they were just basically saying that, you know, it makes a, it has a positive impact on you cognitively because it boosts your abilities when you're able to be directly involved with, you know, helping others during their time of challenge. Um, it also persuades gratefulness. You know, gratitude is something that always humbles you and just makes you appreciate what it, where it is that you are in your life. Um, it also you know, boost your immune system, you know, because when you feel good, you know, whenever you have positive energy, you want to share that with people. You want to share that with people that are close to you and people that you come in contact with. So um, that those are some ways that, you know, public service has a direct effect on your mental health. And like you mentioned, you know, there are some times where you want to go above and beyond those boundaries of being in uniform because you genuinely care about the people that you interact with and you know as opposed to just reciting to them you know infractions you want to be able to hold them and you know connect with them and nurture them and just have them understand like hey even though i am this person i still care and i feel like that's so important you know especially with being a police officer 
Um, and another thing we deal with, a lot of people don't realize that we are some of the first responders to someone that's in a mental crisis, that's in a, in a state of psychosis, or if you're suffering from bipolar in a state of mania. So anytime you have that individual that you see walking up and down the street repeatedly, we're called out um, for them, um, or suicides attempts, uh, in attempts. So... We're the first first ones there before EMS is there, outside of a family member, if the family member is the caller. So I just want to um, highlight what an EDO is. An EDO is an emergency detention order. So if I just, um, just doing a quick skit, if I arrived to an apartment or a residence and the caller stated that, hey, my brother it um, stated that he wanted to harm himself. So we're the first ones there. We come there, and uh, my job is to really um, get to the bottom of the situation. We um, call it EDO-related questions. We like to ask them, what did you eat today? Well, I ate a cheeseburger. Do you know what today's date is? Yes, it's October 31st, 2015. Okay, all right, it's October 31st. Um, do you know who the president is? Um, I think Barack Obama's the president. Okay. Um, do you want to harm yourself? Yes, I feel like running into ongoing traffic. Why do you feel like running into ongoing traffic? I feel worthless. I just broke up with my girlfriend. I don't want to be here anymore. Okay, do you want to harm others around you? No, I don't. I don't want to harm anyone. I just want to harm myself. And at that moment, it's my job as a police officer to know that this person fits every EDO criteria, even though in this moment, he is not a harm to himself physically, but mentally he is. He already expressed that he's going to run into ongoing traffic. So if I leave and I just say, well, he said he doesn't want to harm anyone, and I leave and he runs into ongoing traffic, it's on me, right? Because I didn't do my job. Even though I EDO'd you and asked you those questions, I did not follow through with an EDO. And so now at this moment, I have to, you know, I go and contact the family and say, hey, does this person have any medical insurance or has he done this in the past? You know what? He's never done this before. But um, about two weeks ago, he started pacing back and forth. He started writing um, angry Facebook messages. Um, he's constantly crying, playing love songs. So that gives me the backstory onto what led up to him want to explode at this moment. So then it's up to me. Okay. Hey, sir. Um, what I want to do, I want to EDO you. I want to take you to a hospital so that we can um, get you further evaluated. Are you on any medication? You know what? I haven't taken my medication in the last two weeks. Okay, what medication are you on? I'm on antidepressants. And I, I'm also battling with schizophrenia, but I don't like to take my medicine. What kind of medicine are you on? Seroquel. Okay, that lets me um, know that he's on Seroquel for schizophrenia, um, possibly being schizophrenia. Um, he does not know the date. He says it's 2015, it's 2021. Um, and he does not know who the president is. So right now that leads me to believe that he's in a state of psychosis. He's out of touch with reality. So now it's my job to prevent him from harming someone or self. And then, okay, sir, so now that I have all your information, I'm going to place you into handcuffs. You're not under arrest. It's for your safety, my safety. And the reason why we place people that's in a state of psychosis into handcuffs when we're doing an EDO is because at that moment, anything can happen. They can begin to have a panic attack or freak out or attack themselves and start to attack us. Usually those handcuffs, if they are going to begin to scream, bang their head or, or whatever, we have the situation under control and they no longer have to be um, heavily policed. We don't have to wrestle you down because you're already handcuffed. And I didn't place you in my back seat and I'm talking to you. I've let the hospital staff know, hey, I have someone in route. Um, this is what he's going through. So they're prepared and ready. So once I get him out the car, I fill out EDO paperwork, give it to the hospital staff and let uh, and sit there until he's he or she is fully admitted to the hospital and that way is on uh, the next step is for the hospital to regulate their medication you know um see if they have um added any more trauma to their life are they going to be diagnosed with another mental disorder and the family can kind of take over from there 
That is interesting. And thank you for breaking down that procedure and that process. I feel like, you know, that information is essential to just kind of uh, doing away with any doubts or concerns that any viewers or listeners could have, you know, ever since the pandemic has happened, anxiety has been at a whole nother level about things. And especially since, you know, the recent events that we have been seeing in our communities, you know, when it comes to police brutality and, you know, just the discrimination with that. And again, just thank you for breaking that down because, you know, even though what we see on the media is one image, you know, there are individuals like yourself that like, like I said earlier, genuinely care and want to get an understanding of what it is and how to properly and appropriately assess the situation. And what I also wanted to add to that is that, you know, there are specifically trained police officers that can come out to the scene. And I've shared this resource before and the name of that is MCOT. Now that's only available in certain states um, however, here in Texas, that is available and you can go online to the HarrisCenter.org and you can find that information there. The Harris Center uh, Community Service Center, they're located off the Southwest Freeway and their number is 713-970-7000. Okay, um, so MCOT basically means the Mobile Crisis Outreach Team, and these are trained uh, mental health, you know, individuals that can come out and assess the situation like Robin just explained. They'll get a backstory. They'll try to understand the situation and get them the necessary, you know, attention that they need. Um, so thank you again for breaking that down because I'm pretty sure it's someone who doesn't know it's just like, I, I don't want to call the cops, you know, because everybody's not going to approach the scene with the same mindset or with the same, you know what I'm saying, goal in mind. So I never would, I never heard of that, the emergency detention order. Uh, order. Oven. That's um, that is what we do in lieu of an arrest. Even if that person um, could have struck his caregiver or her caregiver or maybe assaulted someone in the group home, a police officer has the ability to choose between an arrest or an EDO. Um, if he if that person fit the EDO criteria, we're going to EDO that person instead of arresting. However. Um, if he still is, um, if the victim wants to pursue criminal charges, we're going to write it up and say, hey, this person should have been charged. However, but due to their mental deterioration or crisis, I did not pursue criminal charges. But that does not mean that it's always going to happen where even though you have a mental disorder and you harm someone or break the law, you can still be arrested. But most of the times I like to get a backstory on an individual and I prefer to do an EDO versus um, arresting because that just compiles trauma on top of trauma. Here I am, I'm in a psychosis. I'm being, I know that I'm in handcuffs. I know that I'm, I'm being taken to a jail, but when I come out of my psychosis, I'm not going to know what I did that landed me in jail. So I try to do um, the EDO route, which is longer. It can take three hours versus the one hour arrest process. And another key thing we can, we're called CIT officers. So um, crisis intervention officers. And also you can call out Texana. Texana will come to your house and um, these are civilians and they'll come to your house and they will, um, literally do fill out the insurance paperwork for you the hospital paperwork for you they'll um do a quick observation of the individual they'll write it up and they'll get someone to transport them so that is another big thing that i try to push for people for them to come out because a civilian that way if you're afraid of the police um, or police presence, Texana can come out and they'll comb it through. Do we sometimes stand by with Texana? Yes, but not all the time. We don't have to. If you call them individually, say, hey, this is what's going on, and they'll even connect you to outside resources as well. So Texana is really big, and I always push Texana because civilians work it, and they're 
and this is what they do on a day to day basis. And they're a little, and they may be a little bit more compassionate than the officer that's in the uniform. Text Anna, thank you for that information. Um, and their contact is 281-276-440. And that is just how it sounds. T-A-X-A-N-A. They are a social service and welfare, welfare provider. So like she said, they are also another resource for you to contact if you don't necessarily feel comfortable with calling the local police. However, I do feel like for those, you know, who are unaware of that, it is important to also like state that in the call, you know, whenever you call for the uh, the officer to come out to the scene, um, is to state what it is, that person's background, basically, you know, so that they'll have some type of a, a level of awareness whenever they send someone out. That is also very, very important. Um, so I want to take a moment and I want to just go to the comments. I see that a lot of people have joined, so I'm going to shout them out for a minute. Houston, wake up. Hey there. Hey. Um, who else we have? We have the real Shakina Kins. Hello, Paulette Music A. Somebody's um, tuning in from Chile. Hey, Country Boy M, how you doing? Javanda, how's it going? Bobby Brown 40, what's going on? Shatia underscore 1205, how are you today? Pearl Sistant underscore Ivy 18. Hey, girl, hey. REF42450, how you doing? Itty Bitty Purple, what's going on? Mr. Stack or Starve, how is it going? Thank you for tuning in. So Thank for those you of you that are just, yes. Guys. <laughs> yes, so for those of you that are just tuning in, we're just in here talking about, you know, public service and mental health and, you know, some of the benefits of that. We also just shared a few resources. One of them was MCOT. Um, which is a mobile crisis outreach team that you are able to call to the scene. They work closely with uh, the police, um, the police force, whenever you are, if you have someone in the home that is dealing with a mental health crisis, you can call them as well as Tax Santa. They are a social uh, service and welfare organization that comes out and also works with individuals and they work closely with the cops as well. Um, and then we also just talked about how being in public service, whether you are a first responder, a teacher, or an actual just volunteer, you know, the benefits of being involved with the community are priceless. You know, your gratefulness is boost. You make a positive impact on the world or the group that you want to service. Um, you're able to support others in their time of conflict it boosts your immunity system and i mean it just goes on and on cognitively you're enhanced so with that being said tell us a little bit more about what you have going on because i know that you are you know partnered with a couple of organizations you're a police officer you're a humanitarian but you're also running for office so tell us a little bit more about that okay awesome awesome so if you don't know and you're just joining my name is robin williams and i gave a quick rundown i'm just going to highlight it really fast um i'm a marine veteran um humanitarian organization called the hero needs a story i'm currently a law enforcement officer and come um 2023 i hope to be elected for the mayor of houston texas so that's like my really big thing i'm pushing but outside of you know um been a politician because i hate to call myself a politician i always say i'm a humanitarian because i'm for the people by the people right um and one of my biggest quotes i have i have two slogans for my campaign because i couldn't choose i have back the blue but not bullies in blue so a lot of people are like what does that mean so um i'm a police officer and i do back 
I do back the blue. I back police officers. I back officers that do their job. I back officers that get out there and really uphold the oath that they took. I back police officers that make a change in everyday society. And when I say not the bullies, um, we have to address the elephant in the room. There are bullies in uniform. And no, I do not stand with you. I will not stand for it. Injustice is injustice, no matter the race, creed, color, origin, sex, or gender. If you're being discriminatory, aggressive, and you um, no longer want to uphold the oath that you took to serve the people in Houston, then you need to get out of my organization. And when I call it mine, I take pride in it because I put my life on the line every day and I'm willing to put my life and my badge on the line before I see another hashtag for anybody's family. That's not just a popular trend and nobody family deserves to wake up and see hashtag this. So that's why I came up with back to blue, but not bullies because I love the blue. I love my family. Mm -hmm. I love uniform and my second slogan is i am you and you are me and uh, so robin what does that mean so in order for me to understand what you're going through i need to be you i need to understand your crisis i need to understand the problems that you're going through i cannot lead and be the ceo of the fourth largest metropolitan city if i do not understand what my people are going through so i am you and you are me every day i get up and work and i'm still campaigning every day you know i, I have to pay a mortgage i have to pay bills so i understand what's going what's going on i'm not just another politician i don't want to run because my family lineage and my last name automatically puts me in a position to run for office i want to run because houstonians deserve so much more you know we have so many um great communities like sunnyside that's forgotten a lot of people don't know that um neighborhood is one of houston's oldest and forgotten neighborhoods it ranks 26 on the crime in the united states um that community was built by African-Americans after the civil rights. So African-Americans established that community and put everything they had into that community and build it up. And the founder named it Sunnyside. And so now when you look at Sunnyside today, we see that it's riddled with sex offenders. We have 118 sex offenders registered in Sunnyside. Some people refer to Sunnyside as the dump of where they're willing to dump whatever problem into Sunnyside. Um, Interesting. The drug use, the, over, the trash that's in the neighborhood. So it's my job as a humanitarian to clean that neighborhood up and polish it and uh, give it back to the people and for our ancestors that fought for it. So, and, and especially now, it's now um, populated minorities, Hispanics and African Americans. So I need to make sure that they feel safe and that it's not a forget forgotten city and it's not the dump of Houston. And it was once referred to as the Black Wall Street, which was a massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're not familiar with it, you have to look that up. And um once referred to as baby um River Oaks. And if you know anything about River Oaks, it's an influential neighborhood in Houston. And so for Sunnyside to once have those prestigious names, we got to do better. So I'm taking that burden and placing it on my shoulders because I am you and you are me. So if I got to clean up that neighborhood myself, then I'll do it. I totally understand, hear you loud and clear and support you, you know, as well. We definitely need that. And not just in Sunnyside, but again, going back to just our community, our, you know, the black community, it's a lot of things that we are need, needing to rebuild and be accountable for. So I'm really excited to see someone, you know, like yourself that is out here, you know, passionately talking about these topics, you know, going in it with um, a pure heart and, you know, just really trying to get on board with getting people to come together you know it's one thing to talk about it but to actually do it is a whole different ball game so you know i'm definitely going to be following your journey from here on out and rooting for you um so and let the people know how they can connect with you and how they can you know stay on track with what you're doing in 
Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was just going to say, let them know how they can connect with you and follow your journey. Absolutely. So, that's um, my mayoral um, website up is robinwilliamsformayor.com. <laughs> Quite simple, robinwilliamsformayor.com. Um, on my Instagram, you can follow me. I am also on TikTok. Um, also my organization, a hero needs a story. You can always inbox me if you need resources, whether it's food, clothing, monetary donations, I'm always here and just follow me on my Facebook, Robin Williams. Um, and I'm, I'm really, my biggest thing now today, we went out and we fed the homeless. We made sure that we gave back because it, it's crazy just to know that we're next to the NRG and Minime Stadium and there's 3,000 homeless so much homelessness and there's 1,500 that are without home and shelter room and board, no shelter and so, and not only that and just um, speaking out to the individuals that are um, homeless because a lot of individuals that are homeless are not homeless because they don't want to work a lot of them face mental health issues and um, they've been cycled in and out whether it's a hospital and they can't get the proper care or a jail cell because once you commit a crime and you're put into a, a jail and you're being held there because nobody knows you're there you don't even know you're there because you're on psychotropic drugs or whatever medication they have um that's present at the jail so you get out and now it's trauma on top of trauma because trauma happens in jail. Let's not ignore and make it seem like jail is this uh, welcoming place for bad guys. No, jail in jail is, is almost as rough as the streets, whether it's you're being sexually assaulted, whether you and Texas ranks number one sexual assault in prisons, whether you're being, okay. whether you're being sexually assaulted, extorted, um, physically exalted or just being bored and now here you are you're released and now trauma has happened to me and how do i deal with it? oh now i'm back on um the same street i was once hey asking for help for and now someone's calling saying hey i'm panhandling when i'm really just i have a cry i'm just crying out for help so mm -hmm. that's big thing i want to talk about and not only that we gotta let's address this big elephant in the room you ready Let's go. All right. So Governor Abbott uh, banned abortions. Right. He's trying to, it's called the, the heartbeat law at six weeks. And my biggest fear as a police officer is that we're going to go back to the times of the wire hanger. Do you know about the times of the Are you familiar with it? Put us on game. Okay. So. Women would use a wire hanger, the exact same wire hanger that you would get from the cleaners, and women would use that to fish out and do um, housemaid abortions or botched abortions. So my fear is that someone um, may try to attempt that. And I'm going to respond to a young lady that's deceased or near death. And that's my biggest fear. And then not only that, when I respond to a rape and I have to go and take these individuals, these beautiful, these broken flowers, because they're still a flower, a rose is still a rose. Whether you pluck the thorns or the petals away, that's still a rose. And we take them to the uh, hospital and get a sand exam done. And then most women don't find out they're pregnant until they're six to eight weeks. And now it's trauma on top of trauma. And this young lady, now this young lady um, has to deal with the scars of a rape and a, um, and a rape by, uh, and a child by rape, a product of a rape. So how do we deal with them? And once that baby is no longer a baby and they're cycled in and out of the foster home system and they're no longer this acute and cuddly baby, then what do we do? Do right. we just grow up and put them back on the corners or we just let them cycle through the prison system or the forgotten school system or the broken school system what do we do so uh not only that that kind of breaks my heart too being a veteran and women are sexually assaulted in the military we i believe she's from georgia the um senator or the congresswoman where she said mm -hmm. that 
can be with an abortion pill that's not an abortion pill. No, no, it, okay. it literally tells you that. <laughs> As you know, they, 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 they emphasize that on the commercials and all that stuff like that. It's not an abortion pill, but you have some that be, you know, taking them like Tic Tacs, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but and, you know, and their sexual health, but it's a whole nother story with, but plan B is not an abortion pill. And she stated that she, um, service women shouldn't be able to have access to it. When service women who served their country and stood up and took an oath um, are come, become victims to sexual assault, how dare you if you have never served and put yourself in that uniform? Right. Again, that goes to electing politicians that know nothing about you. That know nothing. And, and a lot of times it's people that are not even from the communities that they're trying to service. <laughs> but um, I totally understand what you just said was so loaded. You know, I had to sit here and write it down. You know, going back to what you said about the trauma in jail, you know, that's a whole another story. I mean, statistics show that 10% um, to 20, 10 to 25% of Americans suffer from serious mental illnesses that are in jail. And a lot of those disorders are like schizophrenia, um, you know, depression, um, psychosis and things of that nature. So it is important to, you know, have that level of awareness when it comes to mental health and the signs. And that was the question I was going to ask earlier when we were speaking on that, like, you know, how thorough is the training when it comes to mental health um, at being a police officer, is that something that is thoroughly ingrained in training? Are y'all given some type of, you know, awareness on that? Um, and, you know, just going back to also the sexual abuse that you said, you know, with the abortions, I, I don't, I don't agree with that as well. You know, I also too just imagine like, what are the suicide rates going to be once, you know, as this stuff is rolling out, you know, because who wants to deal with um, a child that they didn't joyfully conceive? Like, that's a lot to process. And to just tell someone just to get over it or, you know, do the right thing, that that in itself is invalidating. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important to address these things. And it's so much. Like I said, we have a lot to work, a lot of work to do, you know. And one way that we're doing that is just raising awareness on this and shedding light on this. This stuff is real. You know, like you said, aside from what the media wants to show, it's a lot of people that are severely affected. Absolutely. So the, let's go back to the first um, question you said. Do we receive adequate training? So right now, um, absolutely, we do. I'm speaking from my department. Absolutely, we receive it where I work at. We receive it. And... I remember being in training and they put these headphones on us and um, the whole goal of the experiment was to teach us and um, how it felt to be a, uh, to suffer with schizophrenia. So we had these headphones on and it was these voices and these awful voices that said, was telling us you're worthless, you're not worthy. You know what, nobody wants you here. You should just disappear. Nobody cares who you are. Nobody wants you. Nobody needs you. And they told us to still continue to have a conversation. So I, I have these headphones on and I'm still trying to have a conversation. You're worthy, you're worthless, nobody wants you. And I'm, hi, my name is Robin Williams, you're worthy, you're worthy. And then eventually I had an outburst and I said, I'm not worthless, I am somebody. And everyone around, because nobody, no one else could hear what you were hearing and the headphones and everyone was shocked. Eventually, you're going to have an outbreak, uh, outburst. Eventually, you're going to burst out and, and, and just try to regain yourself. So it, it was just important and amazing just to understand like how someone is walking around and dealing with a thousand and one words flowing in and, in their head. And it's not always great. It, um, somebody's watching you. The FBI is watching you. You're, you're, going, you're being watched. And, 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 they're, and they become paranoid and afraid to even be in their own home. So Yeah, yeah, it's real. Yeah, the self-conscious mindset is so much more powerful, yes. you know, than just the regular mind. So it's important, 
you know, I'm a firm believer in just speaking, you know, positive things and, you know, doing stuff that is going to get your mind off of those thoughts. We literally think over 50,000 thoughts a day. That's anybody. That's people without, you know, clinically diagnosed um, mental health issues or whatever. We generally have over 50,000 thoughts a day. So like you said, just imagine, you know, you trying to have a conversation or interact with someone and you have these thoughts in your mind that's telling you the opposite of what you're actually doing. And not only that, so there was the schizophrenia training, and they also taught us with different disorders that were most individuals that's on, that are diagnosed with bipolar, they do not like to be um, surrounded. They do not like to be um, approached rapidly. You know, give them some distance. If you, um, if you ever see me passing out food or speaking with anybody who I assume or believe that may suffer from some type of mental illness, I give them that space. Because in that very moment, when you invade their space, it's flight or fight. You know, right. now they want to fight. Now, now I put myself in a crossfire. Now I'm getting attacked because I've overstepped my boundaries. So give them some space. Um, another thing is just identifying it. Once once a person says they want to harm themselves and they take it back, we still got to act on it. Even if they say, you know what, I sit down and say, no, let's still let, once they say it, we have to act on it. Now you are an EDO um, candidate. So it's just learning the different types of mental illnesses, um, whether it's OCD, whether it's postpartum depression, a woman just um, who just gave birth, whether it's PTSD, you just got out of the military. How do we deal with our veterans? Because Texas is big on veterans, right? So how do we deal with our veterans? And so um, we, we have to know where to get. Which branch of service did you serve in? Oh, and now we're getting them talking. Now they're talkative. Oh, okay, yeah, I served in Vietnam, and during that time, I was in da 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 da. So now I know that this person I've seen war. So now I need I need to proceed carefully because they see that I have a weapon, my Batman belt, right? Mm -hmm. I got my Batman belt on. I got my weapon. I got my taser. So they're thinking they they're possibly thinking I might harm them. So it's all in getting a background story of a person before you proceed because um drugs can bring on psychosis. Drugs can alter your state of mind. We have to be able to identify this person on PCP. Have you consumed anything today? Are you intoxicated? What's leading up to this? So we, we received adequate training and I'm also going to go back to training and I'm going to be an instructor that's going to teach mental health. So that's a really big thing. So I'm, I'm proud of that and I'm excited about it. And it just goes into, you know, watching my mom. My mom was diagnosed with schizoaffective major, major depression. My mom, um, was a nurse. My mom educated, black woman, beautiful, all of the above, um, a rock star. Um, my mom uh, um, attempted suicide several times. My mom would tell people, I don't feel good or I'm depressed. And um, I, I don't think my, my family took it um, seriously. And so I could remember my grandmother saying, depressed about what you have everything. And so eventually that led my mom to self-medicate. And then eventually my mom snapped and was in a state of psychosis for years. And so mm -hmm. that led my grandmother to raise us and my father. And um, I think how my mother given the love and the resources that we have today, I think my mom would have been able to come out of it sooner and because my mom gave us everything because she depression is real it is very real and it does not discriminate it doesn't matter your social status you know your gender your your, your age your religion anything anybody can you know be triggered by that mm -hmm. and you know first of all i just want to say thank you for sharing that story you know and having the courage to share that um i can understand you know where you're coming from and relate to that story and this is a this is another reason why it's super important for me to have this platform um in, in order to have this safe space especially for you know the black and brown indigenous people of color because 
the triggers that we face are totally different. And, you know, that's something that's typical in the home. You know, we're just expected to be strong and not necessarily be open and vulnerable about what it is that we're going through. And when we are, you know, we're ridiculed or we're shamed or, you know, just looked down upon or looked as looked at as weak. So this is why Stop the Stigma Change Narrative is important, you know, to shed light on these stories and these realities, because like you said, it is very, very much real. And if you don't address it in some capacity, it will, you know, control you, will control the interactions that you have with individuals, you know, and just the evolution of yourself. So, um, but going back to what you were saying about your training, it sounds very similar to the training that I had with being a mental health first aid. You know, we're taught to, you know, basically just have a respective and appropriate approach. And it's called the algae plan. And it's basically where, you know, you're just trying to assess the situation. You're listening, you're listening to the individual non-judgmentally. You're encouraging for professional help. You're giving reassurance and information and just, you know, encourage self-help and other supporter strategies. So, you know, it's good to know that your department especially is one that is, you know, enforcing that. And um, the question that I would have following up with that would just be, you know, are there any reper repercussions or consequences when an officer does not uphold that particular standard? of approach absolutely because um that's why we have sops um fender operation procedures that's why we have policy and procedures if you violate procedure um we wear a body cam the body camera is for the officer's protection the um complainant um protection and also society's protection as well as the police department and so if you violate it and you normally know that that individual is suffering from a mental illness and you do not nothing about it um you're probably going to lose your job and probably going to get sued so police officers can get sued so mm -hmm. you're probably going to lose your job and you deserve to lose your job because you lack compassion and another big thing is um that's a highlight highlight on the mayor side a lot of people do not know that the mayor is over the police department so just to piggyback off that question and if i'm elected um the mayor of houston texas um we wouldn't wait for a verdict to be rendered in two weeks or a month i'm going to make sure that i render that verdict expeditiously because I know if you violated policy. I know if you did not violate policy, and this is not just let's jump on a police officer, let's get them, let's tear them down because right. there's more darkness outside of the uniform. We do a lot of good that's not shown. So it's not only that I want to be there for my officers, but if you've done something wrong, I am going to give you, render the verdict that you deserve. And I'm yeah. going to ability that, is important. That, so we're going to get that we're going to get that taken care of so remember when you're voting for your elected officials know what titles they possess and who they're over the mayor is over the police department so if you're seeking change like i always tell them um out um a lot of people like police reform police reform robin what how do you feel about police reform I always tell them you have to bridge the gap between police officers and citizens. That's police reform because the elephant in the room is that we don't trust each other. Police officers don't trust citizens. Citizens don't trust police officers. Until we address that elephant in the room, until we conquer that, then we're we're not going to get any, get anywhere. We have to put boots on the ground. We have to go back to tradition where it was a beat cop. Before we were even cruisers and Tahoes and explorers, we were a beat cop. We would walk the neighborhood and we knew Miss Johnson stayed in that pink house down the street and that Miss Johnson had three boys and that she would um, work during the day and she got off of work at 7 p.m. And we knew that her boys were not allowed to be out that house. And we knew the people in the neighborhood because we served that neighborhood and we understood right. the neighborhood. And even yeah. if you're not from that neighborhood, it is 
is my job as mayor, as a future mayor, to make sure that you have some type of cultural training to be um, equipped to serve that neighborhood because I want to make sure we hire people that's from the neighborhood. And if you're not from the neighborhood, you have to learn the cultures. Just like when we go into Indian households, the men may speak. Even though the woman witnessed the crime, the men may speak up. Even when we go into the Hispanic neighborhood, we may see that maybe 10 people may gather around us. That's not because they're here to harm us. Well, um, the abuela, the grandmother, the house she doesn't speak english and they want to translate for us we have to know the cultures we serve and yes. you it's on that what number one diverse in the united states um city so to hire people from those neighborhoods if you're not from those neighborhoods we have to get you cultural training on that neighborhood in the different cultures yes the cultural competency piece is so important you know, and it is something that I feel needs to be implemented, not just in our public service, well, in the public service, but also in the education, the medical, all of that, because there are a lot, there's a lot of discrimination and stigmas that are associated with that. But I wanted to go back to what you had said about the accountability piece, you know, accountability is very important. And, and I feel like that is one of the issues that we have with bridging that gap, you know, because accountability is one is more than just symbolic representations of things. Like there needs to be actual accountability had, such as making sure that when there are unjust situations going on and it's in the fault of the police officer, they need to be held fully accountable for that. They should not be able to walk away from a situation, retire when they're in an investigation or any of that. They should be held responsible. So again going back to it's a lot of work that we have to do but i'm very very you know hopeful and sure that with people like you in office and you know that things like that are going to be prepared so i'm definitely definitely rooting for you um you know i'm definitely going to be following your journey i love celebrating you know women doing their thing and this out here wanting to change the lives of others it's so important to highlight that especially women of color um so i just think that you're all around amazing and fabulous i love what you're doing girl keep <laughs> it up um, stay persuaded with what you're doing and, you know, just keep being awesome and keep educating us and informing us and shedding light on the things that we need to know. We have a comment. Um, I'm trying to read. I don't have my glasses. Oh, yes. Let's go back to the comments. Fisha, uh, Mr. Stack or Starf says mental health awareness is real. He also said boots on the ground. Stephanie joined. Hey, girl. Fisha joined. Hey, lady. She said hello. She said stop the stigma, change the narrative. Uh, Mr. Stack or Starf says when you're elected and then uh, Thisha had also had a comment about just community policing, and yes, that is true. Back in the day, yeah, you're right. You you already knew. You didn't really have to rely much on the police because you already knew that the neighbor down the street knew what was going on, or the neighbors were just you know aligned with each other, which is looking out for one for one another. It's totally different now how it was as opposed to how it was back in the day. Yeah, because we are B cops. So I'm hello, hey Lauren. Um, so I'm gonna touch on community policing and what community policing is. So um community policing is what I explained what a B cop was. We get into the communities and we police our community. You know, some uh, police officers were from that neighborhood that they police back in the day and so community policing is really getting out there interacting with the children interacting with the citizens um knowing about the children really getting out there and um stepping outside of your cruiser or your explorer and you're shooting basketball with them because you're bridging that gap you're making them feel comfortable you know i'm, I'm not a dancer anybody who knows me i have two left feet but you know today's music we kids got TikTok and they want to see us dance and so i'll get out of my car and i'll <laughs> dance with them give them a little quick two-step because that's the best i'm gonna give you so right. because that's community policing that's building up and just letting you know and then when they see me i always smile and i like to um show them that hey i'm not frowning because 
we got to break the stigma. We got to do. We can't just put it all on police officers. We have to stop saying, um, "I'm going to call the police on you if you've been bad to reprimand your children." We have to stop saying, oh. "Officer, he's going to get you," because that's teaching mm -hmm. um, aggression towards law enforcement and teaching mm -hmm. children to go a different uh, career path. We need our children to become police officers. I can't do this forever. I'm 31. Eventually, it's come a time when it's time for me to retire, right? So I need for the children that's behind me to come and grow and for we, for us to water them and for them to take my place because I can't do it forever. As much as I would love to, I don't think I'll be 65 in the uniform. I understand. And I love how you touched on that because I believe they, or at least here in my area, they even stopped doing that, coming out to the scenes to address calls like that because of what you just stated, you know, the the impact that it has and the the visual that it's giving to kids when it comes to, you know, policing. Um, so that is very, very important. And I also wanted to say, you know, if you are someone that's thinking about being a law enforcement, you know, if you don't, if you genuinely do not have the passion, you know, to work with individuals in the community, then being a police officer is not for you. This is not about, you know, ego or just having power because you have some individuals that are like that you know they just view it as an opportunity to be over people and have power over people and that's not what this is about it's literally to protect and to serve and if you're not about that then it's not the place for you and if you're scared of certain people or a certain group of people you do not need to be a police officer that is just point blank if you're going to be you know uh hesitant or react impulsively because of your own personal, you know, convictions or whatever, you do not need to be a police officer. Absolutely. You don't, you don't, you don't deserve to wear my badge. You don't deserve to stand near me. You don't deserve to call me your sister in uniform if you cannot do the job appropriately. When I put because regardless of what you do here, you still have to answer to God. Yeah. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whatever higher power you believe in, you have to answer to, whether it's the universe, the most high, whether it's whatever you believe in, whether you believe in karma or not karma. But I know it come a moment in time that even as a police officer, you're going to need justice. Like not too long ago, I think um, I literally had to file charges and I was a police officer. I, it's, I haven't felt like a victim in a very long time. So for me to feel like a victim and I'm this police officer, it was humbling. Mm. So I and like when I tell you it was so humbling. Yeah. And uh, my friend Lauren, she's on here now, and she had to like, you know, talk me through it and just um because I did a I did something a humanitarian act for someone who mm -hmm. used that opportunity to try to exploit me. Mm. Interesting. And, and so I, I, the young lady, I did a resume for a young lady. She was, um, you know, short on cash, destitute. I don't really do that anymore. I'm, I, I do love um, what I do, but I don't assist with resumes anymore. I don't have my consultant firm anymore because I'm focusing on being the best um, mayoral candidate possible for Houston. So I did the resume and the cover letter for simply 75 bucks. And I said, I did it. I walked her through it. In the midst of my uncle dying and my brother dying that following week, I still continue to do it while working my shift. So I gave it to her and she wanted the unedited version of it. And I said, mm, no, tell me what you want and I'll fix it. And then she said, well, if you don't, I'm going to post it in this group. So it was like, black, oh, go ahead, go right ahead and do it. And so it was just grabbing all of my information, me running for mayor, me running my organization and posting my information and then posting where I work at. And so now that safety, my safety is impacted because, and not only that, other officers, you're posting where I work at when it's people that look just like me that work where I work. And so I would hate for someone to be a victim um, simply because someone is upset. So I had to file harassment char um, charges and terroristic charges against someone. And, I, and it was humbling just to know that I was a victim and it just made me want to even go harder in the streets for people because sometimes we get, you know, complacent with crime and 
um, we we may not go the extra mile for a victim. And it just made me realize when I had to call on my brothers in uniform that, damn, I, I just always remember to give it 110% even if I'm tired because yeah. I felt what it felt like to be a victim. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate that people are like that. You know, it, you have people that will take advantage of your kindness and I believe that some people, you know, view <laughs> kindness as stupidity. And it's so unfortunate for them. But you still walked away, you know, a little bit wiser from that situation. And you're still out here, you know, doing what God has for you to do. So kudos to you for that. And thank you for sharing. I hate to be the barrier of bad news, but it is coming to our closing time with this session. I enjoyed it.